0: Hello and welcome to the Carousel oh. Podcast. I have with me today Gio Penachetti, and um, AKA Giant Gio. You will know who he is, probably, maybe. I always say oh. that. Uh, he is a Canadian ontologist, taxonomist, and zoologist, you might even say, of our space. Um, He's the creator I of. I am an
1: animal myself.
0: But... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what we're, that's literally exactly what we're going to talk about today is which animal are you, you know? Uh, so yeah. creator of Substack at Geo's Content Minded Corner, it's also a YouTube and a podcast and an everything, and an artist, a visual artist, painter, and an etch artist. You can look at his work on Instagram and other places. So I think the kind of theme I want to go with here, I I'll be honest, Geo, I this was the hardest one that i've had to prepare for uh, so far <laughs> and i'll tell you why i think that is and and let me know if you think this is true you are like people call you like the king of lore and i think you're like a walking encyclopedia kind of like for our thing uh you have a piece called confederacy of shit posters which sort of is the beginning of like a taxonomy yeah. of our entire space but when you are the classifier it is very hard to be classified so it's mm-hmm. like i've had a hard time like wrapping my head around like the geo brand you know like what 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 actually is geo you know and so i i awesome think awesome shongya
1: sir man there right
0: <laughs> right because you have so many things going on and you have so many kind of like projects and and your writing is like uh so many references um and we'll get into that but um I guess first of all I want to ask what does Pinocchio mean?
1: That's my real name.
0: I know but like, know what that? what does it mean? Do you know what it translates?
1: Pinocchio means um in in Italian it means little bird. Ah. In proper Italian. But uh, my mother's main name means master of the world. So it's sort of like little bird and master it's 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 a contradiction. But yeah, it essentially means little wing or little bird in Italian. Um yeah, my if you look up my name, like my my old man's relatives go way back in Canada because um, my old man's cousins, they, they ran the one of the biggest um, precast and block manufacturing plant in like all of North America almost. But it got bodied in the 80s. So it's like impossible to find records on the Internet because it, like you you remember like the whole huge wave in the deindustrialization in the 80s before Reagan and Brian Mulroney came to power. Right. So they got destroyed there you know bad mismanagement whatever but uh no my my old man uh comes from the quote-unquote farmers side of the family um and you know i come from a you know working class well i mean middle of the, like working class construction background you know i guess small business is sort of like that weird in between right so i grew up like i did not grow up like a usual um academic like upper middle class pedigree like maybe you know in terms of uh small businesses are very weird that way and that you're sort of like i like to call them the dark hobbits okay this is what molebug does not really <laughs> dark, hobbits, There's dark, hobbits. Like small There's dark hobbits yeah yeah the small business people people that are like you know i i mean we like to keep I, I mean i live in the same house my great-grandfather lived in right so um no but like yeah the dark hobbit is like the sort of people that voted for Trump that were of, like, a higher-income... Like, not higher-income bracket, but, like, people that are more of the technical and blue-collar field, but um, are not, like, white-collar professionals. You're talking
0: about the Kulaks. So, you're talking about Kulaks, basically, right? The Kulaks, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mulbug yeah. does not... Yeah, he doesn't factor into the equation. Yeah, he doesn't talk about yeah,
0: Kulaks Kulak. He, yeah, he also so. misses so he misses the dark elves and the dark hobbits, but he also misses the, um, the light hobbits. He's totally yeah. missing the normie, the average normie man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just like a normal yeah. guy who is super woke because his brain is filled with utilitarian worms, you know, like rationalists, <laughs> you know, just normal guys. Uh, he's missing yeah. that whole thing. Right. Like, where's the normal guys in this? Like there's no, that's like the biggest swath of the population. and, he's categorizing yeah. them with hobbits who want to grow and but that's not really accurate like those guys are not exactly the same so yeah there's a few other uh people we should put into Moldbug's paradigm there that we have not
1: okay oh, yeah it's it's like yeah. um justin murphy like we were talking about this years ago how when he first broke in uh okay yeah you're gonna mention it but it's perfect. Uh, You're bringing this up because
0: this is what I want to start with. So, No,
1: you go ahead. Sorry, it's your show. You go ahead, my friend. So Okay,
0: so what I wanted to ask you about Justin Murphy, and then you can make your point, but let's just intro Justin no. Murphy. So Justin Murphy, for people who don't know, although probably most do who are listening to this, <laughs> Justin Murphy is a face fag like me, uh, meaning he shows yeah. his face. And he began as a professor, I believe, at a... um English University, somewhere in yeah. like Leeds or yeah. something. And he was, uh, you know, getting, he was kind of an open minded guy. He, you know, shit posting like everybody else and saying, you know, inappropriate things on the internet. And about, and so in t- today we know him as a guy who has been basically canceled and mm. now, you know, runs his own show. He left the university. I think he got like banished, whatever it was. But in researching yeah. for this show, I found you on Justin Murphy's podcast from four years ago and in the intro he first of all four years ago he's like so positive he looks so like young and happy and like he's really like (laughs) excited whereas today he's just kind of like crass you know like he's kind of like angry you know and uh then he's like so really rage maxed yeah yeah he's like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and he has this intro right before he starts talking to you where he goes, Oh yeah. You know, the university has started investigating me. And but I, I really <laughs> think it's not a problem. Like I, you know, like I, they're not going to win. Like the power balance is in my favor. Like it's going to be a PR disaster for the university if they go after me. But if I'm not mistaken, he got crushed by them. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He got totally. Yeah. BTFO. The <coughs> daily mail article really sealed it. Um, So I was one of his first guests, by the way. Uh, so I'll always like listen. A lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about Justin Murphy that he's a grifter, and you know, and okay, yeah, he's open about the fact that he's a grifter. Well, as we wow. all, I don't um, think he's but, a
0: grifter, but uh, yeah, but yeah,
1: I think he has a way of bringing people to a conversation that is more of like the program that's more easy to monetize, but. Justin, you know, he always he did me a solid early on and I'll always stand him. He'll always be a good friend. Um, and yeah. So at the time I was just out of grad school as well. And he uh, <laughs> he was getting canceled because of the one uh, necrophilia tweet. And so he's American, by the way, he grew up in America. Wait, so let's
0: this is what I want to do, Gio. Every time we need. like, yeah. Do you remember when Dennis Miller was on Monday Night Football? And uh, for like five seconds, and he needed we, every time he made a re- reference, we needed like a little explanation. So, like, when, when you're saying the necrophilia tweet, what was the necrophilia? Tweet? <laughs> I know I, I it. Think oh, he what
1: compared, was it, I believe he compared a certain controversial medical procedure for YouTube for abortion uh, to <laughs> necrophilia, and it was a keto tweet, by the way. It was actually it was good. pretty good, yeah, it was yeah, good. but he was like. You know, he was like exposed in the Daily Mail. And the picture, the picture they used of him with his like scraggly beard was not very flattering. Um, he's much more masculine now. I think he maybe maybe you have taken um some advice from the the bodybuilders he's interacted with. But at the time he was like skinny fat, uh like bearded, like soy soy glasses academic, and yeah. the picture just looked terrible. And he was uh, he, but he was from America. But then he took a tenureship in England because right. it's much easier there to get a tenure track. Um, and he, yeah, and so he. Uh, the reason I bring him up is because we have a similar like experience in the sense of like being like coming from like a working class background and then going into academia and experience. Like I didn't experience much, but I guess I did maybe behind my back. Um, the sort of classism, like he was talking about with me, like there is a a sort of, there is a certain, uh, a certain, uh, a certain, I'm slurring my words, uh, a certain like uh, disposition and a deferential character that you have to have in academia to go far, pretty much. And so the censorship, and me and him were talking about this at the time, this is when Jordan Peterson was blowing up, right? That it's not that they censor you like you're a controversial person and they like take away It's more of they select, they have sort of like a a physiogamy and a a mental, and even I would say physical physiogamy that they sort of uh, select from. I had friends when I was going into my master's, I, you know, my, I have a dual master's, Uh, I had friends that went on late, not to say the universities, but I mean, Canada, pretty much it's like University of Toronto if you're in politics. But, um, you know, I had friends who went on to PhD programs and they had that. Character basically, and so it's not like the things that I found very interesting in academia are the things that I could basically do on my own, which is tutoring, the TA ship of it, um, the lecturing, the actual intellectual work. And even Justin Murphy was saying, like, that's a very small percent of stuff that you're doing in a university environment, you're basically working a corporate job, more or less. Uh, And you know, like, you were saying, like, you have a background in you know the art world and journalism and so forth like it's this, it's the same stuff it's like you're not really doing the sort of work of promoting ideas or in the, in that case the work of art or uh, you know that's why i didn't go to art school because basically yeah. i have a you know i be having a masters in philosophy and in poli sci it's like there's really no point in that they give you these little theory courses and um i mean if you wanted for the technical skill if you wanted to go to atelier i mean I have criticism of them as well because it's all it's basically all just taking the work of art and making it into an artisan craft like so that's yeah. my criticism of ateliers but when it comes to art school like um well first of all i mean i i wouldn't want to like uh <coughs> i wouldn't want to deal with the people that go to art school obviously that's that's number one but also um the institutions across the board uh they basically have taken either fine arts or the humanities and broken them down into technical craft fields that are not conducive to a lot of cross-disciplinary thinking. But anyways, but that's besides Justin Murphy got canceled because he was basically a <laughs> frog in hiding. Yeah, like, he was yeah, a frog yeah. and hiding.
0: And no, I, I'm interested in everything you just said about uh, about academia and learning mm. to do what we do versus actually doing it and And the connections uh, there. So what do you think, from our perspective, so my theory about what you're saying, um, well, actually, let's just finish with Justin Murphy first. So Justin Murphy. Yeah, we didn't
1: even get to the introduction. You're going to introduce me, but, (laughs) I know. I know, but see, I'm terrible for that as well, my podcast. Sometimes it takes me an hour to get to the introduction.
0: Well, no, I did introduce you. I introduced
1: you. Oh, I think you meant like you were gonna go through the the roots and the like how I got started, blah blah blah. Yeah, we, blah we don't we'll, have we'll do to. We'll,
0: well, yeah, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, where do you see? So here's how I see Justin. Justin, I don't think he is uh, a grifter. That's not that. No. I don't get the grift vibe from him. I get the what I really respect about him is he is somebody that is doing this for a living and that is hard mm. and i have nothing but respect yeah. i know some people don't like that and it you know messes with the purity but i think it's great that he has figured out yeah. how to do this professionally the i don't have any issue with justin but he, i do find his tweeting to be extremely cringe and i think a lot of that's people, a bit yeah i can't tell if that's you know serious and and it also is like This guy, it was so crazy to see him right on the precipice of this cancellation because he's so like, you know, he literally looks like a different person. And then now today, (laughs) so much more like angry, like everything he says is kind of tinged with this like fury, which I get, like I have the same fury, I get it. But it's like, it's funny to see people pre and post cancellation and how like some people, <laughs> some people like that who really thought they were going to get to play by the rules and really genuine. You can hear him say it. He's like, "Oh no, they're not going to come after me," and then they get crushed. People like that uh, it really, it like it hurts them deeply. I know a few other people, oh, yeah. uh, like um, who then afterwards are just filled with such rage forever. Then there's other people like my last guest, who are two guests ago by the time this comes out, who is uh, Bennett's Phylactery. You know, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, Kevin Dillon. Better
1: he, Nemlitch, yeah. Good friend. Yeah.
0: He's great. And, uh, he was like set free by it. Like he was way better off after getting canceled. Like you yeah. can just tell, like, he was like, man, I had this horrible consulting job at like a big thing. Like he's like, oh, breath of fresh air. Like I'm a, I'm better off. So it's funny how different people like react to getting canceled. And I feel like for Justin, like, it was probably good for his career because he's figuring it out. But like in terms of his output, it seems like it's gotten very like, uh, kind of cringe negative a a little bit. I don't know. So, but I have nothing but respect for the guy. I I really do like him. And I think, um, I, you know, I have issue with some of the things he says from a cringe standpoint, but I think he's pretty much like a good guy and I, and I don't find him to be a grifter, but where, where do you see him in our landscape? Well,
1: he's, I I think you would admit he's more of a, (laughs) <laughs> he's more of like an amalgamator. An amalgamator. Of things. I mean, he has, yeah, like he has, he brings people together. I feel like uh, he's got sort of like the platform vibe, uh, but he, I mean, he has his own content. Like he came out with Base to Lose and so forth. Um, but I think Justin, he, he's, he's good at the art of provocation that academia did not afford him the opportunity to get. And so yeah, I feel like
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. a lot of his tweeting, like, okay you got to realize
0: yeah totally
1: when you talk to someone and first of all i totally forget the interview i, I remember i was talking about like the internet metaphys or something because it's like four years ago and you know so um the past two years before 2022 was sort of a daze because of my prior arrangement with uh speaking of following the rules uh, um, but no justin uh, he's got a formula. He knows exactly. Like he, he's so well aware of like the different communities that he intersects with, whether it be the frogs, the rationalists, the academics, um, just even like Normie Stan Twitter people, that he like crafts the perfect provocations yeah. on yeah. the TL yeah. Yeah. to yeah. then rake in engagement and then rake in discourse from it. He's like a machine of that. Like, the, the abortion tweet was that, the necroph- necrophilia abortion <laughs> tweet. The recent one with, you know, now he's a father. um The recent one, he knew that he was going to piss off a huge swath of, like, the rationalists intersecting with the homesteader, like, lumber soy type of, like, <laughs> that type of discourse, right? So he knew he was going to piss off all those people. So, because he tweeted and, uh, again. The way let's just
0: yeah. everybody he tweeted. I remember this also. It's it's ridiculous. How hard uh, it is
1: to be a father. Like, you're not going to party in the weekend. It's you know? funny
0: how I like know all that. I don't even know that I know so much about <laughs> Justin Murphy, but I do. Yeah, he tweeted this whole thing about uh, like being a father is taking care of a baby is really really difficult, and it's made him really yeah. depressed. Which is like. You're right. It's the perfect balance of things that's gonna annoy everybody. <laughs> everybody <involved laughs> is gonna be annoyed by that tweet, and they're gonna find oh, yeah. some reason to uh, come out and say, "No, Justin, you're wrong. You're you're bad." Did you ever read Bobo's? you guy's in a paradise?
1: loser. Yeah, you're <laughs> a loser.
0: You're a cup. Did Did you ever read uh, Bobo's in Paradise by David Brooks?
1: I don't think I have. It, it's I mean, not. It's heard David it.
0: Brooks sucks, and anybody yeah. hearing me like shilling David Brooks, yeah, is gonna, he's... Really, is gonna hate me. But I will say that this one book is great. Bobos in Paradise is really, really good, and it's a lot about academia and like coming up in academia. And his advice, oh,
1: it's yeah, I yeah. think his yeah,
0: advice for young academics is to come up with a article or like a you know an essay that is titled "The Death of Blank," like the death of something. Just come up with something and make it 100% wrong. Like, make it obviously wrong. Like, just say everything you're saying, make it, like, brazenly obviously wrong, and you will be the next academic star because everybody will then go and write a paper in response to your obviously wrong paper about the death of blank. And I think that's what you're saying. Justin is basically doing that. Like, he's out there saying things he knows are going to provoke responses.
1: Yeah, he's good at, like like because of his background in like cybernetics and um like you know different like theory cell type of stuff around accelerationism he knows like the platform he's on and what it takes to get engagement and how that sort of spreads like a virus or a mimetic antigen rather to provoke a response within the body of a certain online community discourse yeah and um He's the master at that, so he really is. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm too like, I don't know, high open, like high uh, agreeableness to like try to do that every time. Um, I mean, even the series we're going to talk about was provoked by me trying to do that. Um, but you know, I, I just don't have the gall for that type of. Some people can harden their their character towards it, but uh, I try to like stay on the level. Uh, but then sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to like allow yourself the room to provoke and piss people off and you know sort of uh say your own unique truth even though it can get you um there was something that an editor of mine many years ago said this to me uh, and i won't use his name because he's frankly been cancelled by the scene um he said that you know a lot of times we talk about in these circles about censorship and how we can't climb normal institutions, especially academia. Cause a lot of us like in the E right are basically failed academics. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's like, you know, because let's face it. We're all sensitive young men, right? So we all grew up, I grew up as a sensitive young man and uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it's like you, you are pissed off at the fact that you're not going to be accepted by the mainstream, but yet you create a sort of chamber of discourse That is in some ways just as much censorious or has a sort of number of uh, images of thought in the scene that you can't cross over. And if you do, if you trip that wire, then it will basically pit brother against brother. And many people have done this, of course. I mean, the scene in 2016, quote unquote, the sector was much different than now. Um, Nowadays, it's sort of like there's a lot of like competing warring factions and uh, a lot of people, basically to achieve clout and for other reasons, uh, will transgress those sort of boundaries to state their case and then create something from that. I've seen this happen with my own eyes, being an old hat myself, you know, so, um, yeah. Uh, so but Justin's very fall? good at cross-cutting.
0: Where do you fall? What would you say? Where Where do you fall? Where are you in in, I, this, in this map of the thing of the map of the <laughs> the Twitter scene? Where is Geo?
1: See, you know, it depends on the it depends on the year, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess broadly, like, okay, I came in on the original wave of Frog Twitter around 2014, 15, and like sort of the NRX bloggers, even though I was not directly in the sort of like HPD rationalist side of NRX. I was much more of like the the theory cell side of like those bloggers. And so back in 2015, uh, there was an attempt to centralize all of these bloggers with publications like Thermador Magazine and Social Matter and now American Sun. And I was sort of of those, like that explicitly like Twitter crowd that came in at that day. But when it comes to like the factions within it, I'm pretty much like my own island because like I I guess in the past I would identify with trad, but even nowadays it's sort of like a passe thing that doesn't really describe. Even back then I would get into arguments with people because I would entertain certain like new left theorists that I worked in in grad school and it's sort of like very hard to classify like again, I'm not, I'm consciously aware of the fact that like I, I'm it's like you know a very fart huffing type of like I'm above it all, but I'm generally no, not above it all. I'm
0: not. I don't think that G. No. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> I I'm just trying to understand you genuinely. I like. Do you go to church?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not as much as I want to, but you know, it's yeah. yeah I try. Uh, but I guess yeah. I mean, Twitter. Catholic, Are you a frog? I mean,
0: do you consider yourself a frog?
1: yeah I get- yeah, yeah basically I mean uh-huh. that's my main you know my main thing, I guess the beat, in other words, yeah but i yeah I mean it but it depends what frog though, right, because I don't share the markers of a lot of different groups within the frog. it's like I'm not a bappy and vital as much as I um intellectually explore the space of like a lot of that sector, right, I'm friends with most of them. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I don't have the the qualifications, nor do I have the body. Working on it, though, working on it. Uh, nor do I have the body of a Bapian vitalist. Um, nor, like, even being a trad calf, I wouldn't consider myself, I mean, do I believe in uh, trad Catholicism? Yeah, I believe in the traditionalist interpretation of scripture and doctrine. But I wouldn't, like, when it comes to, like, the clique, though, I've always had, like, a sort of um, more meta-relationship to it than, like, being an explicitly, like, you know, the, the the Vatican flag of my bio is because that is of my faith, right? That is, you know, but when it comes to, like, especially nowadays, there are a lot of, like, ideas that I entertain intellectually that wouldn't, like, fall into the, like, trad sector, even though I more align with that way of thinking. Uh, I feel like, the trads had an immense opportunity after 2016 that they sort of squandered in a lot of ways um so i'm willing to entertain more of the like various quatrains of the e-right but i myself like to consider myself on an island in a way right because um not that even like see my series is more about like the meta like the structure of what constitutes the E-right rather than a book like for example when Angela Nagel wrote Kill All Normies, which was more of like the the nitty-gritty, like, here are the players, Mm -hmm. here's the gossip, here's what this person's doing. Like I venture into that on my podcast a lot, right? But it's more of like I'm interested in what constitutes a dissident avant-garde, if you will. And even like people that would slot me into like, okay, what is the art right? Which is like the term that mobile came up with. It's like, that's even, you know, as an artist myself is like one of the few people that doesn't just talk about, uh, making alternatives to the work, you know, the current art world, but someone who definitely is an artist. Um, I mean, like I've sort of like soured on the whole, like not soured, but I've sort of my like, critiques of like the dime square, like publishing industry type of stuff. Uh, because I feel like we're just in a discursive loop rather than actually encouraging people, like the few people that do, like my friend Mark Granza, you know, and I'm six or like Lomez with Passage Prize, which I was a judge on, uh, <laughs> that was pretty controversial. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe that I, I like to be on my own because when you affiliate too much with one particular f- part of the sector, it sort of pigeonholes you and it sort of breaks off your own um it breaks up your own ability to really go through that genealogy of ideas and of of sectors and, and personalities and ecologies really but having said that i realize that only the few people can do that because most the vast majority of people need a manor bun and need a group even if it's just online and they need a sort of belonging now i do need this belonging as well But then it's just because of strategic decisions that I have made along the way, it's sort of like uh, I become an island because of the work that I do. And because, you know, maybe because of my, you know, (laughs) INFP personality type, Uh, it's like uh, I'm too much of like that, that mediator that I can't really like align myself to. Um, any one thing. two uh, yeah like no, two gr- uh what, into one different thing yeah.
0: what's so strange about what we're talking about is like um mm. so if you look at somebody like the beats right the beats were this interesting group because they were both the chroniclers of their scene and yeah. the livers of their scene at the same time exactly right? like they kind of yeah. had to be yeah. whereas you look at something like punk rock they didn't need to do that like the punk rock musicians just no. played the music and then people came and recorded it yeah and the, they, the, they, they the
1: critics lie. and the writers of the theory cells they came later yeah they came later yeah. on and it's like i i think that and i
0: face this too it's like Everybody, you know, I go to these events. I go to these conferences. I might go to the, uh, to the, uh, milady rave tomorrow night. Uh, Oh, wow. (laughs) I really don't want to go. I I don't want to go at all, but I might go because, uh, I got invited and I, uh, I need something here. I need something to write about. Right. I go to DeVere ball. I go to these urban things and everybody's always like, are you going to write about it? Because it's like these dime square motherfuckers write auto fiction all day. They about each other. And it's like part of the yeah. thing that they're all writing about each other.
1: And Even like the doing, critics like you know, Crumpler do this. They write yeah. the auto fiction of the criticism of the, criticism of of the thing. Exactly. And yeah. I put
0: the Times square itself, which is run by, you know, it's written by that guy um, whose name I can't remember right now, but the playwright who's sort of the center of that scene, like him going to all the plays is kind of part of the play. And he's got some drama yeah. with like the main girl in it, who's his girlfriend and like, if that's like it's sort of this like self-referential performance right
1: it's very postmodern sort of perform like exactly situational performance. performance yeah right. yeah but i hate that yeah. shit
0: i fucking hate automation <laughs> i don't want i don't want this masturbatory garbage you know like i don't i don't want to be that like i don't want to go to go to the urbit party and then write about the urbit party and like all the people i saw like that's the fucking last thing i want to do so it, it's this tension though because there is the desire to do that and in a way we have to do it because nobody else is going to do it for us so i think that's kind of like what you're saying a little
1: bit is like uh
0: you know it's the
1: natives write about themselves now yeah, yeah right
0: right yeah the natives write about themselves and it's like it's hard to write about yourself but also it's like hard to join and then also be objective and it's it's just this kind of weird thing
1: it's it's very much like i i think because of the literary influences on people that like are in these scenes like it's very much like new journalism like um like like you know like tom wolf yeah in the 70s and uh, uh i can never yeah 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 it's sort of like that sort um uh like the new journalism is very much of this like yeah i guess hunter s thompson would yeah. be like you are inserting yourself you are the sort of the the sociological gaze turns inwards right when you're a part of something right. i feel like that's why i've been like had a better experience than other people and like listen i'm not casting shade by the way because i have a lot of friends that write for them but places like you know compact bag and unheard they don't get that deference by the frogs because they're outsiders writing about the frogs yeah. and so it's like when you're in it like this is why i'll never counter single anonymity despite not being anonymous is because um like I, I realize the value in it, but also most of the people that I've made friends with that I interact with that I have, you know, make business with are anonymous. And so it's like, you know, uh, it, it wouldn't be like, and plus like just by sheer fact of like most people that buy my artwork are anonymous and I have their doxes, and it's like to counter single anonymity live would not be conducive to my art sales as well. So, or my books, future book sales, by the way. Um, so it's like I wouldn't like go out of my way like Jordan Peterson to be like like listen there are problems with anonymity of course but uh, I feel like writing about those problems but then realizing the need for it is different than saying like oh my god these anonymous troll demons <laughs> like it's <laughs> you know but even like the Dime Square stuff like it's it's very like on that meta critique level of like we need dissident art. Oh, oh, but are you going to do it? No, we got to talk about the need for this. <laughs> it's like Right.
0: Well, and that's why we're at yeah. such a incredibly interesting time in culture because Yes. we have yeah. this overrun where the you know, I, I call it deep fried, right? So so like um hmm. there was a time in culture Like the memes? That, what? Yeah, exactly. So there was a time in culture yes, like where I think like I want to say around 2016, probably it was right at the time mm-hmm. where Normcore came out. Do you remember Normcore and you know Sean? Oh yeah, founding Normcore. Uh,
1: I think I remember this. Yes. So yeah. Sean,
0: uh, yeah, he, um, like, I, I actually know him well. And of course, Monahan, my bad. He's like a friend. But so Sean Monahan uh, was part of this really amazing. Um, Advert like marketing strategy group called K-Hole. And K-Hole was like the shit. Oh, hole like, yes. Was, like 2014, yeah. 2015. The, everybody loved them. And they came up with Normcore. And Normcore was this like little baby movement that happened for a little while. I wrote about it for LA Weekly. That was, you know, dressing in dad clothes. You still see it a little bit, but it had like a moment around that. And Gap yeah. made this whole advertising campaign around dress normal based on Normcore. Which was like dope. And it was really good. And it was like, it scared people a little bit though, because dress normal is a little bit like fascism kind of, it's like, yo, don't be a weirdo, (laughs) you know, like, like be fucking normal, you know, just, and that was, I think that was the moment where that was where culture wanted to go. Right. It wanted to go back. Right. The pendulum was like desiring to go back. Right. Like, and if, and if we naturally it would have done that, like it's done time several times before, you know, and, in the eighties with punk was kind of a right wing thing. The whole Reagan thing, you know, that was all,
1: off is that. Yeah. Right,
0: Yeah. So it wanted to swing back. Right. That was like the way it wanted to go, but, and, and like dress normal, it was starting to happen. Normcore. Um, You know, you had a lot of black rapper, like, you know, Kanye even dressing in like a prep and uh, but then the powers that be, are so powerful now, these institutional, like, you know, the, the beating heart of liberalism, the beating heart of the, you know, the Chihulu that just goes left was like, no, 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 we can't go right. We're not going to let this thing go right. The only way we have to go is further left. We we have to go further into degeneracy, further into, to uh, remix culture further into everything. So they forced society to like go to the soundcloud rapper people right who have like it wasn't just enough to have tattoos now you had to have face tattoos you didn't couldn't just have dreads now you had to have like rainbow dreads and you know you, you had a
1: dress in have- a dress to the award show yeah exactly you need to dress and dress. so they just went totally
0: fully degenerate like into the garbage heap right which i call deep fried because it's like it's not just a postmodern remix it's literally that remix copied 1000 times over itself over and over which is what a deep fried meme actually is you know so that's like my theory of of kind of what happened and they like especially after trump they put a pin in it and they were like nope we're not going right we are not going to go right and now like the the desire to go right is just so strong that all the cool kids like, no, I know I need to go here. I know I need to go here. And you have Asher Penn. I don't
1: believe in it, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe in it. Right.
0: I don't believe in it. But like, you know, all these fucking dime square Jewish rich girls pretending to be Catholic. You know, it's like it, like uh, they know they that's the only place they can go. You know, you look at Asher Penn's sex magazine. It's like delicious tacos with his shirt off. And like girls wearing, oh, you know, girls man. wearing like God, that say, like, God, I love God, you know, or like, you know, some shit, not that praying shit.
1: So, I was reading, yeah, Yuki oh. Mishima, yeah, right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was reading, yeah. there's a heuristic to learn, and I, it's just like, so, so I think, Heidegger said that we need, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like these girls doing that, and and so I think that we're at just such a crazy ass time in culture right now because we're like the the establishment is pulling so hard and these people who are naturally liberal they don't actually believe this shit you know they they're no. not, they, they don't really believe in baptism at all in fact it offends them deeply you know yeah so it's we're at this like weird fucking cultural point and that's why it's perfect to have you on because you understand the shit better than anybody
1: i i think bap gets a lot of heat because of like the fact that he's he crosses sections with a lot of like intellectually interesting stuff but also like the lifestyle aspect of it is very much easy to like it it can devolve into hipsterdom not that bap is like bap does it himself but rather people that hover around the sort of like scene right whereas i feel like uh other groups that aren't exactly don't exactly like bap uh (laughs) they they have different sort of currencies with different sectors but now that's sort of like going away because of uh embracing a lot of, like, online ghettoism. But, no, uh, I would complicate that thesis, though. Because you have to realize this is very terminally millennial type of stuff in terms of the ironic ironic detachment, but also... And, and Bap is correct about this, by the way. Uh, ironic detachment, but there's a cult of normalcy that is more of the political left, right? Because they have such a, a, an ability to engineer the culture, car yeah. blanche. Yeah, that they they're the ones that say touch grass drink an ipa fuck your fat wife and listen i like fat girls okay I like, <laughs> but as people know but the criticism of like touch grass go to a bush party drink an ipa have a normal one that is the millennial irony left that is the mainstream culture that is like people you know wine moms that watch law, law and order svu that talk about Stacey's and Chad's and incels, right? So the cult of normalcy is very much political left. And so when BAP says that, it's very controversial because you figure that the left has basically created a shibboleth of celebrating alternative counterculture. But that isn't really the case. Because as we know, mainstream counterculture, if that is such a term, is consented to by the elites. Yeah. So yeah. the recent Sam Smith shit, right? Like it's yeah. that is like, Terri- like Orrin McIntyre hit the nail on the head in the Substack. Well, actually, it wasn't Substack. It was his daily, is, his, his uh, the Blaze article where it's like he basically this is banal because it's mainstream culture, right? Yeah. So the dissidents, yeah. you would figure in Americans. The Americans complicated because they have such a like a liberal spectrum that you'd figure the conservative, like right wing people, that they're like the Reaganite, Fox News boomer uh, that voted for Trump, right? The Magatards, like I, I, that's what even like Yarvin, you know, Yarvin, he really yeah. slipped his mask when he started saying Mogatard. We all know that he's of a particular liberal tech Silicon Valley class. Um, and he's of course started. he's, yeah. his family was, yeah. And his family yeah. was in the elites and all that. So, but when you really as he reminds at it, us, he just, as he
0: reminds us, every chance that he gets anyway, sorry. Not well, you know, my it. mother
1: uh, was kissed on the cheek <laughs> by Joe sad. Biden.
0: <laughs> and then He says, "Us." That's why I say we need a drinking game for every time he calls himself elite. It's just like every article. It's like you know, us elites. The thing is that we. It's like all right, man. Not uh, the dark. <laughs> uh, uh, the people.
1: <laughs> this is um, with love. No, but Yarvin's this is
0: with love. If you're yeah,
1: the, <clears throat> exactly. But yeah. but Yarvin's the perfect like symbol of someone who has elite mainstream acceptability somewhat but can venture into the sort of like a hipsterdom of the reactionary because it's the reactionary it's the right winger now who has taken up the mantle of like not just counterculture but also being like a like a terminal weirdo that doesn't really fit into the cult of normalcy and the way i say that like here's the thing you have to separate like the sort of um the media picture and the the pastiche of that which is like Curtis Yarvin and like Paul Joseph Watson saying like conservatism's the new punk rock and the actual like Twitter frog schizo that is like terminally not optical in any sense of the word. So it's this weird space where the left, they're the cult of normalcy. And then you have this, you mentioned that marketing movement, right? That's a very like Gen X millennial, like, Late 90s or 2000s, like ironic guerrilla marketing. Uh This is, you know, do you remember the Oatly thing where all the frogs reacting to that Oatly brand, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've yeah. yeah we're
1: wrong. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just a the little thing. bit. So you'll just, like,
0: just a little bit, but yeah, no, but you'll like right what there. I have to say. Yeah,
1: yeah. You'll you'll like this. You'll like this. So, Oatly, they got all the frogs. They got. Rog nationalists, yeah, and yeah. BAP, and and Zero HP Lovecraft, all the frogs to react to to the marketing guy, right, that was running the account. But I saw the brilliance of it because Oatly did this campaign in the early two thousands where it was like ironic, like yeah, we know this is terrible, but you're gonna like it anyways, with like the bold lettering, total nineteen nineties guerrilla marketing throwback. That millennials and Gen Xers they just like Mwah, chef's kiss, right? Yeah. So.
0: You You don't mean the early 2000s. You mean like a couple of years. You mean like three years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were appropriating the early 2000s. Oh, they were appropriating
0: um, the early 2000s. Yeah, got it, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: that ironic Gen yeah. Xer. Like, it's sort of like, do you remember No Soda? No. That was selling in Starbucks? No. It was like No Soda. It's like, we're not a brand, but we're a brand. Yeah. It's sort of like that postmodern, snarky. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah so yeah, yeah. they were. Pro- yeah yeah so but it was brilliant because they got all of these twitter reactionaries that talk about seed oils and and degeneracy and how it's turning your physiognomy into like a hideous like a marigoblin cryptoid and so it was brilliant because they were engaging with criticism but they were We're doing this very snarky, millennial, ironic, like, yeah, we know this is going to transmogrify you, but it's like, you're going to like it anyways, because now you're sticking it to the chuds by buying Oatly. And so that was brilliant. So the guy that ran that Twitter account, I got, no, it was a girl, actually. I got to commend because that was like amazing marketing, just like using reactionary, neurotic health theory seldom to market your soy slop right you're yeah. replace the s with a g and you know what i mean right <laughs> The because you know? um, no, like only yeah. is like ghastly like seed oils and no yeah it's, yeah, yeah,
0: it's yeah. made out of uh literally rape seed oil is what it's called which yeah, is uh, canola oil which is just you know yeah these garbage seeds that are pressed and they get the oil out of it because it's the cheapest possible thing in existence um yeah yeah, no, that's really interesting. So let's say you actually just uh, you use a lot of euphemisms. Yeah, you, you do this thing. Uh, you say the Austrian painter, and you say the gamer word, <laughs> and you say the heaven site for Twitter for some reason. So I'll just say yeah. that's that's. Uh, I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to like reveal what they are if you don't like it. But why do you do that all the time?
1: Um, YouTube opsec <laughs> because I, I, I like being monetized. Um, oh, but, but you, also to avoid that stuff
0: on Twitter, they don't monetize. You can't say the word and then it'll detect it on Twitter. Is that why? Or uh, sorry, on YouTube.
1: On YouTube. Yeah. Oh, also Twitter. Like I was like the way I survived for many years was basically doing lead speak and like doing Opsack words, like, and, uh, not like allude. Also like, um, if you like go out there and you like post spinny wheels or, you know, the Austrian painter, uh, mid-century German leader, then you will basically paint a target in your back, especially the fact that I'm a face and a name, uh, you'll paint a target in your back for uh certain people that like to track the, the right wing, uh, you know who, right? So, um, you, you basically, yeah. And that's why I avoid rallies, by the way, I avoid IRL, um, apart from meeting people that I know and trust, I tend to avoid any sort of, like, protest. I didn't even go to the convoys. My aunt did, but I didn't go because I knew that people would, like, they would, you know, if I was photographed, it's like, you know what I mean? Especially the way that Trudeau reacted to it. Uh, You know, but people that are, like, more... Like, here's the thing. The way I justify it is that, yes, eventually you want to get to a stage in the development of the right wing in North America where it's, like, more acceptable to, like, go out there and protest, but it's a losing strategy for now for obvious reasons. And I'm also not like a quote unquote leader of a movement. Like I, that's not my goal, right? That's not <clears throat> my mission, but also it's just like upset. Like, I mean, I, I have much more, uh, I allude to different things. Like, you know, what's funny. Catherine D said this, he's like, you're amazing at um, alluding to things though going totally overboard. So you like kind of keep everyone happy. Like, I hate to say it. That's what I do. Like I, 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 I identify like, I I sympathize and identify with a lot of the more edgier stuff, but yet when it comes to like verbalizing it and like basically immolating yourself, uh, in front of, you know, the, in front of the world, it's like, uh, I've I've made conscious steps towards like, you know, even just like the, the word heaven sight is not an edgy thing. Well, it kind of is because, um, heaven sight was made by the, you know amarna forums right oh so, so okay the, so no
0: i don't where does okay. the amara for amarna it's amarna right yeah. yeah so they're like a forum of hardcore incels basically
1: i and it's instant no i wouldn't say that there's something beyond like they're like you know the enemy racist profile pictures you've seen if you see one you know one right so um know um even just talking about them i feel like i'm reifying them and they wouldn't like that but yeah no no, right exactly
0: i'm not trying to do like right i'm not trying to like do anything out of line either so so but why the heaven side i guess is what i'm just trying to say well
1: this is what i'm getting at this is what i'm getting at so um they have a concept like for example a lot of these accounts right they post a lot of edgy stuff that i don't exactly agree with right but um they get banned every week and they come back, right? So the Ammarites, they there was this quote, I believe it came from either like Smeed or it came from Atrazine Griper, that said, um, the millennial conceives of this place as a hell site, as a site that drags you down and prevents you from touching grass. In other words, preventing you from engaging in the cult of normalcy. Because Twitter is the hyper-real discourse war uh theater that brings you a sort of but at the same time this is why i think elon bought twitter because it delivers you a capacity into looking into the creation of where the sort of global brain is heading the creation of ideas and thoughts and memes and so the amarnites they say the millennial through his ironic fail son detachment because let's face it, we like the one thread on a forums that described the millennial is perfect. It said that the millennial is the constant disappointment generation, right? We we're we we're terminally frustrated and and uh, disappointed by our circumstances because we were promised a boomer existence. Yeah, right? we're, we're 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 the perfect
0: reflection of the naivety of the boomers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the naivety of the boomers, but the inability to achieve the socioeconomic existence of the boomer exactly
0: and, yeah right right, but
1: also the excess of the boomer, the sort of like I partied, I did the seventies key party, but then I got married in the white picket fenced, and the corporate job blah blah blah, right so yeah, the millennial is like the John Stewart, like everything <laughs> is ironic <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, yeah, this yeah. ironic snark. Yeah. So they're like oh I hate this heaven I I hate this hell site I wish I could go and touch grass But my corporate media Job where I'm basically a serf To the culture industry where it's like I have to write blog posts about Like listicles about like You know what's Disney films that Are problematic or whatever But the Amarnites that are largely zoomers That were That grew up on the internet That grew up on Chan culture that grew up on the sort of total um what's the opposite of deference, the total like irreverence of everything and being sincere about it. They're like, no, we conceive of it as a heaven sight. Because the heaven sight delivers you into the truly online experience of like saying that, okay, there's no going back. This is where we're at, and just deal with it. But the millennials, they have this like nostalgia complex of like oh my god i wish it was like my childhood where we're terminally online yeah. and so like millennials are spiritual boomers in a way but the Amarnites, not just the Amarnites, but like most zoomers that are like hyper political like no this is like the terms of engagement this is the world that we know we don't even remember the pre-9-11 world deal with it live with it this is the heaven site because the heaven site can deliver you into the total irreverence of all being. Yeah. So when they like, but listen, I'm not going to say something edgy like, um, posting the act hang memes that that's like some kind of revolutionary act. It's not. It's like just trolling, uh, trans people, whatever. But the spirit of that sort of like early internet total irreverence of all things is something the millennials lost because we bought into the cult of normalcy because we want to be normal we want to touch grass you know but uh we can't we want to live in our and wholesome homestead with our heckin wholesome uh you know tech job wife that isn't a polycule that wasn't a polycule but but through the power of you know finding religion all of a sudden my wife is no longer you know a slatterly woman uh <laughs> so um So I think like the reason that they conceive of it as a heaven site is because all of this stuff is laid bare, right? It, It really, it can give transgressive ideas a life onto its own, even if they get banned every week. Maybe it's a purgatory site. Maybe it's more like purgatory, but who knows, right? So yeah. I hope I'm explaining. No, you you did. You did.
0: No, that was a very good uh, and very illuminating description of of a lot of different factors going on. So I think you did a great job of uh, explaining that. Um, All right, let's move on to the next topic here, which is um, content. I want to talk about content for a second, which is um, you call yourself uh, your project, the content-minded corner. Uh it used to be called I believe the aesthetic content minded corner.
1: Yeah, but- yeah. So, well, because content mine is my podcast, I have to stay on brand. so you yeah. know, right? Right? Yeah. So,
0: so, um, I want to talk about like content here. So, you've talked a lot about uh propaganda versus art, I think. I, you have a great mm-hmm. appearance on New Right, I, I think that's actually their best episode with you on there because oh, you, you get Matt really excited. Matt, Matt is like so excited <laughs> because you guys are both kind of theory cells, no offense, but like you guys both really like yeah, yeah. The theory references. And he, I like, it's very hard to keep up with because you're referencing all these like deep theory, like Foucault. And, um, but it's great. It's a great, great episode. Um, and you talked in that episode about uh, content versus propaganda and versus art. Right. So mm. I think that you are saying, and with the, what right wing art means and, and everything like that. Um, so, uh, in your uh, I, I'm going to link this to some of your other thought which is this essay that you sent me which I think was like the, your in school essay some essay about uh, a new pale horse right? And oh have,
1: cool. that was the one that started it all yeah, yeah that, that was like the, your yeah.
0: first essay and you have this quote in there uh, Horkheimer and Ador- Adorno also have similar observations lamenting the death of creativity in mass culture Amusement itself becomes an ideal, taking the place of higher values it eradicates from the masses by repeating them in even more stereotyped stereotyped form than the advertising slogans paid for by private interests. Inwardness, the subjectivity-restricted form of truth, was always more beholden to the outward outward rulers than it imagined. And then uh, what I'm trying to get at here, art, content – propaganda Mm -hmm. what is the distinction between these three things in today's world because it seems like that's kind of what that that quote is talking about and and in in talking about right-wing art you also talk about this a lot like what are the difference i guess in in those three things or do you see any difference in Hmm. that's
1: a good question actually um that's, a, you know, a funny, I had the moment of like, wow, I actually wrote that because it's been years since I actually like read through the whole thing. Like, you know, um, so the context of that was that was a paper I wrote in grad school for a very good prof I had who uh, she was. Um, I was in a Frankfurt school class and she like really opened my eyes to the possibilities of a lot of like critical theory and uh, her and my supervisor uh, and so i wrote this and i mentioned the video artist nobody tm in the end which became very popular in 4chan and actually uh the reason e michael jones is very popular is because nobody tm's most popular video had a lecture by E. michael jones or radio Wait, we, e. nobody, nobody tm yeah
0: nobody trademark
1: nobody yeah, trademarked. nobody trademark okay nice there was a website but everything got um erased because nobody tm felt like the project was over and it was completed and and all of existence becomes nobody tm now so these wait wait, wait. nobody tm is like the oh, last wait,
0: wait, wait what did you say yeah existence what did you say about it?
1: assistance i Maybe? said that all i said that uh, all of existence now becomes like a nobody tm edit so <laughs> oh,
0: yeah <laughs> um, i don't, i've never yeah. even heard of nobody tm on uh, before you had mentioned it briefly on that podcast but i don't even know what that is so like what is that so
1: nobody tm was there was a website It was the last true form of like video art on the internet. Right. So a lot of these edits he would find, like apparently it was a whole group of people, but they would find like obscure footage from different like schizos and people like at the utter edges of humanity and would use these digital and, and even analog forms of layering to create these edits. And a lot of it had like, I would even say metaphysical, um, Messaging and values. Like the first season of of the episodes was very much more like explicitly political. Sort of like um a lot of like the sort of right-wing art forms <clears throat> that you see, like a lot of editing styles, comes from nobody tm. So like Sam Hyde certainly oh, is very that's similar. All
0: right. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Paul Joseph Watson, the whole like modern degeneracy series, that comes from nobody. That's basically like a more like mainstream. Mass produced version of what nobody TM was doing. Uh, Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The degeneracy compilation stuff. Yeah. So nobody TM was doing all of this stuff back in the like 2010s, and Fortune got a hold of it and it became like a source of speculation, sort of like a lot of like these deep. Okay, you know, like these YouTubers that do like deep internet stuff that's usually like scary dark web um they'll never talk about nobody tm because nobody is too inherently like you know political whatever uh but i have seen a few videos on randy prozac if you look up randy prozac kind of similar stuff right uh but nobody tm intersected with a lot of like like not just dissident culture but like avant-garde type of video art right that has a long history dating back to the 70s like with namjoon pike and all that so nobody tm was like a huge inspiration still to this day like i i still want to write more about nobody tm and so i wrote this essay and at the very end i mentioned nobody tm i specifically mentioned adam wallace's article on nobody tm it was called postmodern anti-modernism which you could still find if you like look on the west coast reaction because then what happened was I um, emailed nobody TM and with this essay and, and the head editor like loved it so much that it was on the main website, the essay. And uh, then later I was contacted by Adam Wallace to write for his, um, his, his like dissident like web magazine called West coast reactionaries. And I was there for a number of years. I was at Thermometer magazine after that. And uh, that essay was like the first one that I released publicly and that was the one that sort of like started this whole, you know, whatever trajectory I'm on, right? It's been like, it will be like, I believe, almost 10 years next year that I've been like, had an, like a, you know, terminally online presence. So, um, you, you know, you asked the question of like, what's the difference between the three of those things? I would say that nowadays there really isn't much of a difference because we do live in like a hyper real sort of like world where propaganda intersects with art, art intersects with content. Like content is like the catch all of just the experience of being a creative person on the internet, because you have to like wear so many different hats. Like I'm an artist, podcaster, writer. What, what can you say? Oh, content creator. There you, you mean like, I don't like that term. It's like that's the term, content creator. So uh, I feel like the problem is when you start to create things that have an explicit message, that veers into propaganda. Because the work of art should be the creation of a world in a way, in a sense. And every piece of art does that. So when that world is sort of reliant upon mere commentary of the real rather than exposing what is in front of us on a deeper level, then that basically serves like the utilitarian purpose of propaganda. But it's hard because you have to comment on the world that you live in as all artists do, but to do it in a way that isn't explicitly propagandistic is very difficult because the world we live in is fabulized to such a point where what happens online eventually percolates to the quote-unquote real and there's no distinction between the two there's no distinction between virtuality and actuality in a way and so these distinctions that you set like you you were alluding to become very blurred because what you can create in the work of art not should ideally become timeless right in the sense that you're not just like dating yourself to a particular moment but it should have a universal element to it But this becomes difficult because the world plays with these categories like it's putty and everything melts into each other because of the sort of um, the ability of like telecommunicative technologies to deliver us an experience of like even the understanding of collective thought like never before. And so it's like when you're bathing in collective thought and collective, uh, you know, mimetics all the time. As an artist, it becomes very difficult to um, bracket yourself out of the timely to become untimely, as Nietzsche said, right? Like it's untimeliness is very difficult in our world. So you have the option of going through the timely to arrive at something that is untimely. And I feel like the quote unquote dissident right wing people that are more artistically inclined they're trying to find the untimely through the worldly and the timely because it's hitting us every single day. Because every avenue of, like, pop culture and even the art world, like, everywhere we go is basically controlled by our enemies. And it has to pump out that propaganda 24-7. So to allow yourself the space to not be propagandistic becomes, in a way, like a quote-unquote countercultural moment of, like, reaction. Right. Like, even just like being a landscape painter and being like, you know what, I just like p- pretty pictures. That, having been a landscape painter for a lot of years, too, like, it's even that becomes politicized because it's like, well, I just want to worship beauty. Oh, but worshiping beauty is fascist. Yeah. So right, it's, right, right. you know, so mm-hmm. all these categories become compl- complicated because they're so like bled into each other. But it was, yeah, I'm just, I'm talking too much Well, also. but why do,
0: why do you call it content? Why did you choose to call it content minded?
1: Oh boy. This is a, uh, this is autism on my own part. Um, because content is a mindset to me. Content is a higher pursuit. Content is like, um, and I realized how, how terminally like Spurgy I'm sounding right now. No, <laughs>
0: but, I don't think so.
1: To me, content is a mindset because content to me is like an inner obligation. It's like, and I wrote this in my recent article, like it's like what Kandinsky called inner necessity. It's harmonizing the world around you with your ability to not just like comment upon it, but to create something anew from it. And so content is in a way like a calling, like Heidegger says, it calls forth right i know i'm sounding like i i can hear the way i'm sounding no, right now i don't
0: think you said yeah
1: no but you know what, like okay so what i mean is that co- content is the backbone of what the post 2016 world has been the poster the poster delivering real world cultural and political even change.
0: Yeah. The, well, that's what's yeah. here's what's really interesting. This is like the point that I want to get to is the meme. Is the meme content? Is the meme art? Or is the meme propaganda? And because, because content, yeah. like, like the way that you're using content is actually the old school way of using content. Yeah. Whereas now the word content, So uh, let me just read this little bit from Scorsese. So Scorsese has this incredible essay about Federico Fellini in Harper's a little while ago, and I just came across it like when he wrote it, and I was like, "Wow, this is really good." And he's talking about content—the word content, what it means in the Netflix sense—in you know the head chief of content at Netflix sense of content, right?
1: Yeah. So he says,
0: he says, uh. As the art of, flash forward to the present day, as the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator, content.
1: Yeah, he meant capeship, by the way. That's what he's talking about. Well, yeah. but, hold so, but hold on. As recently
0: as 15 years ago, the term content was heard only when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level. It was yep. contrasted with and measured against form. And that's what you mean by content, right? You're, yes. you're saying like that, right? Then gradually it was used more and more by people who took over media companies, most of whom who knew nothing about the history of the art form, yep. or even cared <laughs> enough to think about that they
1: should. Just like Content, Pro Wrestling, by the way, Pro Wrestling is a similar trajectory, but yeah, yeah right. Content <laughs> yeah.
0: Become, became a business term for all moving in, images. A David Lee movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, a series episode. It was linked, of course, not to the theatrical experience, but to home viewing on the streaming platforms that have come to overtake the movie going experience. Uh, on the one hand, it's been good for filmmakers, myself included. On the other hand, it has created a situation where everything is presented to the viewer on a level playing field, which sounds yep. democratic, but isn't.
1: Yeah.
0: Cure, and then he says, uh, curating isn't undemocratic or elitist. It's an act of generosity. You're sharing what you love and what has inspired you. Algorithms, by definition, are based on calculations that treat the viewer as a consumer and nothing else. So he's like, and I totally agree with this. I I percent.
1: he's right. Yeah, 100%. has been
0: reduced. Like they don't, your use of content is referring to something completely different than what 95% of people mean when they say content. People, when they say content now, people mean shit to fill up my day yeah
1: it's like it's like i remember this one i don't know why i watched this this was a year or two ago was that it was an interview it was like some genius uh lyrics interview with a backpack kid you know the the little like the the... zoomer backpack zoomer the rapper well he's like he's like this like stupid soundcloud faded rap where it's like talking about brushing his teeth or whatever and he's like (laughs) And they're like, why do you talk about, like, having ketchup with your burger and brushing teeth? He's like, well, it's content. Everything's content. It's like, that's content. I'm like, wow. That's like, okay, so Scorsese is brilliant here because it's brilliant that you brought it up, actually. I I quite enjoy this because I've never, like, thoroughly explained, like, what I mean by content. So, like, of course, I'm using the Heideggerian, like, calling thing. It calls forth to you. But to me, content is... The form, it's something that should be ideally a spiritual idea of putting forth a sort of reconciliation with your own thoughts about the world to the world, right? It's a calling. It it unites the world with the sign, right? With your, you're cemented within time, but you want to reach beyond time, right? But most people, what they mean by content, they mean like the culture industry. Like they mean, like mass produced net like you know, Netflix has basically destroyed cinema, right? In the sense that everything becomes absorbed instantaneously, but also notice how it's series that is more important than cinema. The small screen is more important than the big screen. Yeah. Because people love the endless stream. Like what what basically what Adorno said in Dialect of Enlightenment, Hork Hork Um, they said that uh you know the endless stream of trash people love the trough bucket right like they they love series because it's like you can consume a high volume of it, but you don't have the same like sort of like low time preference engagement you have with cinema where it's like I'm sitting here for two or three hours and absorb- or for example like if you if you're a real cinephile, there's like a few mountains you have to climb like for example uh recently I climbed uh the mountain of Satan tango by Bellatar. That's Where's a seven that? hour film.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. It's,
1: it's, it's the seven hour Bellatar film. Um, where it's like about this, uh, mining, like this post Soviet mining village. Right. Um, and it's like, it's very perspectival with like the different characters, like filming the different perspectives of like the same day. Right. So it's, it's a monumental work of cinema, but it's like totally like a slog. Because a lot of it is like taking Brisson and Tarkovsky and like making it more like grueling and nihilistic. And like you have to like work to like see these like very long drawn out like landscape scenes and everything. So, um, most people don't have attention for that obviously for obvious reasons. And uh, so, content becomes the effluvia of the culture industry and everyday experience. But I think like the content mindset is something that should be a higher ideal. It's something that should be like you value, like creating the work of art. It's something that you feel a necessity to put out to the world, even if it doesn't make you any money, even if it doesn't make it, even if it gets you canceled, even if it like you know, even if it like doesn't give you any clout or whatever. The content is the thing, the ideal that we strive for in these online sectors. It's something that we slave over. It's something that like what we're doing right now, I feel is like um, to like pull you back to the meta, like the sinews of what we're doing in podcasting, like to create content that is engaging. Not everybody can do that, but people, the problem is though, that everyone thinks they can do it, but they can't. Or, I mean, maybe they can, but like, you know, anyone could do anything given enough, like, you know, in, given enough IQ points and experience and talent and utilizing whatever, like, you know, you could pretty much, you can make a semi-interesting podcast, right? I mean, I'm not the greatest podcast in the world, but like, I feel like, uh, you know, being gregarious enough, you could sort of, you could hack it. But the point being is that what we're doing right now is like sort of that pursuit of that mindset. It's sort of like, we feel like what we're doing It's not that just like, okay, we're, we're important and we have to do it. And like the, we, you know, the world values our contribution, man. Like, no, that's like very hard. You know, that's very like pseudo intellectual bullshit, but it's more of like, you feel like within yourself, the content should shine through and that's what should matter. Not the sort of like e celeb parasociality bullshit. It should be like, ignore all of that. But the ironic part is that on the internet, you need at least a little bit of that parasociality. You need a little bit of that poison, a little bit of that coal to get to the gem, right? Because most people, they're not going to like um, jive with something that doesn't have a personality. But when you create that personality, when you give your space, so you give yourself that space of openness on the internet, then all of those dangers that comes about. It's like what Foucault said, right? He said that um there's no it's not that everything is like evil. It's that everything is dangerous. Meaning that like everything has that potentiality to go into a mode that is ill suited for the purpose that you set out to do. Right. So, you know, I'm not like the greatest looking guy in the world. I don't have the greatest voice, but it's like um I feel like to, to move past all of that eventually people start to come up with this attachment to you because of your content because of like you are a part of the thing that you produce and vice versa so it's almost like when the leftoids when they say that separating the art from the artist they say oh that's impossible it's they're right it is impossible
0: yeah, they're they're actually right about that yeah well and we're i think we're like learning that more and more
1: oh yeah um but they explained they explained the content yeah yeah no
0: definitely what was the professional wrestling thing you were gonna analogy you were saying oh yeah professional (laughs)
1: wrestling is very similar in that like people that were in the business but then it got invaded by corporations and by reddit and by like people that didn't really understand and so like they created this like media monster and then it's like um then it all became like just marketing shit to children and then it's like, then, you, then, you know, that's basically Vince McMahon in a nutshell. It's like the way he like destroyed the territories and, um, you know, so it's like people that don't really understand an industry coming into it, but also like, I have this analogy that comes from pro wrestling all the time. I, I say it like almost every day on my podcast where I say um, even though I don't like him, I, I, I don't agree with him, uh, because he's also a shit lib too, but the, the famous, uh, wrestling manager, Jim Cornette. He has this thing where he says, "Um, they took the mark from the stands and they put him in the ring. And so that's how he explains like a lot of these like newer wrestlers you see like from the indies or that go to like AEW or whatever. They have very much of like this self-marky, like mm. I can do a million flips. I can do a million moves. Oh, interesting. I don't care about the buildup of the match or the storyline. Ah. So my thing is that we took the lurkers. Yeah. From the stands, and we made them into posters. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, right. No, and so, you, yeah,
0: we made, we made them into, po- or we just made them in it. We made them into artists because they Not are too. posters, Not
1: right? That's Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, no, but are you saying this is an internet evolution that the old posters used to be more the kind of distinguished stars and now everybody is a poster? Is that yeah. what you're
1: saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So most that, definitely. <laughs> No, but I think every industry goes through this trajectory as as there's more like mainstream I attention. See it. It. It becomes, yeah,
0: that's a great theory that like uh, you could come up with a great theory that is like as a sport or a theatrical thing grows.
1: Yeah, or it, even artwork, even art. It starts
0: yeah. to. Become it starts to take on the appearance of its audience more and more. Maybe yes, so yeah. Like. But, but I don't yeah. think that that's is that really true though because it's like sports football. It's the opposite, right? Football it's yeah, like it's gone different. the other direction. It's gotten further and further away from its audience, you know. Because well, it's same, like, hockey, become,
1: same hockey, same yeah. hockey. Yeah,
0: it's like because now it's just huge beasts, you know. Even these guys that look normal are like six five. Um, but I wonder I if feel Peter, like if energy- movies yeah because theater and and movies have started to take on the appearance of the
1: i don't know it's it's interesting i i feel like professional sports ball it doesn't because there's a lot of like refinement culture there like where the athletes themselves have to be like at peak yeah um this is where pro wrestling and ufc i mean despite their like despite mixed martial arts and like pro wrestling not being the same thing even though there's crossovers because as you know um like here here's me being a pro wrestling spur. uh as you know mma was created by pro wrestling you know this right uh no i didn't know that yeah no well, in japan the first like legitimate mixed martial arts league came from pancrase uh, which okay. was professional wrestlers that were trained by antonio noki who recently passed away last year uh rap to a legend um antonio noki for those who don't know in Japanese wrestling is imagine if you were to take Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and the rock and like put them together and Vince McMahon as well and put them all together. That's Antonio Noki. That's how important he is in Japan because Antonio Noki, what he did in the seventies was in new Japan Pro wrestling, he would take different fighting styles. Like he would take Billy Robinson, who was a Greco Roman uh, grappler from England. He fought Muhammad Ali as a wrestler boxing and uh that i believe the famous show in uh where was it was it in cork hall or was it in the tokyo dome where he fought muhammad ali um so he took all these i believe uh it was a draw because they really like Antonio. he was trying to do like a, a like a grappling style where he was on the floor but the muhammad ali tried to like <laughs> you know so yeah. um <laughs> I believe someone actually trained Muhammad Ali to give him like a few tips on pro wrestling. Right. Yeah, Before sure. he did it. Um, but, uh, so he would take like Japanese, uh, like judo stars. He would take like uh professional karate people and he would like put them together. Right. And so Antonio Noki, he basically was created, creating the, like the proto version of mixed martial arts. So people that talk about like pro wrestling and MMA, like there's a long history there. And as you know, like a lot of pro wrestlers came from MMA and vice versa. Like like uh, Minoru Suzuki, Brock Lesnar, um, uh, um, Kasushi Sak- uh, Sakuraba, like mm-hmm. one of the top like stars of MMA of all time, the the Gracie Killer. He's like I believe currently he was recently the tag team champion in pro wrestling Noah. Um, with Sugiura. so like there's a so but anyways I think wrestling is different because it's a theater because it's a performance right yeah, yeah yeah so any sort of like art form or performance or anything like that it eventually will not just reflect its audience but it will refine itself to where the audience thinks that it has the ability to put themselves in like in the ring, or yeah. in the gallery, or in the theater space, or whatever. So, professional sports is obviously different because, like, with football and hockey, uh, like, like for example, like I recently started watching hockey. It's been like years since I was a kid, uh, because you know, being a Maple Leafs fan, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's pretty blackpilling, right? And so, um, like when I was a kid, like I had like it was a pretty good group. Like I remember watching, uh, like my favorite, my favorite, um, <laughs> my favorite star was of course Ty Domi you know the 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 ultimate goon the last goon right so um that was when they had like cujo and matt Sandine, you know uh so recently watching hockey it's like like all that stuff that don cherry was complaining about for years it's true like they corporatized it they made okay yes it's true they made the rules so they could play longer right like they could actually like play a game with a like interruption but like the fighting is discouraged like it's like come on bro like the refs like as soon as they see they see the gloves come off it's like the refs go right like in there right away it's like come on this isn't hockey hockey was a working class chud sport right (laughs) you know um so no but football is the same way i'm sure if you're I, i don't follow football but i'm sure if you're a football fan it's like the same refinement culture right but when it comes to the theater and the arts you have this manifestation of people like tricking themselves into thinking that they could do it like rap for example rap music is like plagued by this it's like every everyone has a mixtape everyone has a sound cloud right so yeah yeah, it's like the same phenomenon it's like the same like taking the marks from the stands and like putting them
0: yeah in into it yeah it's 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 also kind of a 15 minutes of fame thing coming true yeah. yeah here's an analogy for you is theater as to gay people pro wrestling is to fat people
1: <laughs> yes yes if you look at i hate to say it like as much as a like the ratification of pro wrestling is sort yeah. of like if you like look into the stands in aew like i don't watch a lot of aew because like i'm more of like a Nuja chad guy right so um but if you look at the stands you'll see like a fat soy beard guy with like tr- protect trans children sign. <laughs> I I had this tweet. I had this tweet. I don't know if you saw this, Isaac. I had this tweet, but I deleted it because I didn't want um like R squared circle to like pick up on it. Right where it was a sign where it was Kenny Omega pointing in favor to this like soy beard guy that had the protect trans children sign, and I I took this picture of this fan in from like 1991 at a house show that had a sign it was like a working class dude with a, with like a mustache that had a sign that said Shawn michaels has aids and, it was like, <laughs> That's great. I and then i said him. like what happened to wrestling fans
0: what <laughs> <laughs> dude i loved Shawn michaels he was my favorite ever Shawn oh really I- eh yeah yeah i grew up yeah. on i grew up pretty into
1: wwf back when it was wwf um Man. and you know Shawn michael's he inspired a lot of those like indie guys because he was so athletic
0: he yeah out. and he was so cool no um, i was like came up in the stone cold era that was my that was like, i
1: was like right, right after i was yeah, like you RBD. were the rock
0: you were yeah, the, the rock, rock rbd yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. 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 um But (laughs) then John Cena just like ruined it for him. I know.
0: And then, and he's like, God, so lame. Like, John Cena sucks (laughs) compared to those guys. Like, John Cena is so bad, you know? Like, he's so squeaky, clean, and gross. And people forget that The Rock, I mean, it's so ironic because The Rock became, you know, the John Cena of Hollywood. Yeah, but he was put a everywhere. bad guy. Everybody forgets that The Rock was a bad guy, you the know, corporate the champion. Oil. Yeah, yeah. Good. and yeah. so like it's funny that he had it totally reversed, and now every movie he's in just is total shit. It's like if The Rock <laughs> is in it, if The Rock is in it, just don't see it. You know, it's going to be terrible.
1: Do you think he's going to run for the Democrats eventually? Ah, maybe. I could see
0: That would be a good move
1: for them. It would, it would, yeah. It would be the best thing they could do, honestly. Because they have like the 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 Obama angle. Yeah. The, like I mean, all politics is progressing, as you know. Right. So, uh, <laughs> right. You know, Donald Trump was there with Stone Cold back in like 2006. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Didn't he yeah. get
0: stunned? Did did Trump he got stunned, stunned?
1: Yeah. But then he, but I believe he dogpiled Vince McMahon in one scene. That was the CNN. That was the meme that the kid, the fucking 19 year old kid. He made this meme of like Donald Trump tackling Vince McMahon, but it was like Donald Trump. It was a CNN logo on Vince McMahon. CNN sued this kid. They oh, doxed him right. and sued him. Gee, they make...
0: sued him for a meme? Oh my
1: for God. a WWE meme.
0: <laughs> that There's no way they won that.
1: I think they had to throw it out of court because of the, the backlash it got. It well, was... and
0: also there's no, I mean, from a trademark standpoint, there's absolutely no, you can't yeah. pay for that. They were just trying to scare people.
1: I think um, even Donald Trump paid for his legal fund, this kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um,
0: okay, let's finish this up by returning to our uh, original core point, which is basically the taxonomy of our scene, which you are yeah. a total master of. Um, so yeah. you talked about this in Confederacy of Shit Posters, where I, I appreciate you saying that it was not, you know, your goal wasn't to actually create a taxonomy, but more to sort of set up a i guess perspective on avant garde art so from my perspective what i want to know first is yeah in our scene how what are the criteria for being like a name how long do you have to be around and like how many followers do you have to have like how long until you're on geo's map or what do you need um listen you
1: have to be racist sexist you have to hate women and minorities and you're good um no um I feel like I—I uh, I was thinking about this this morning when I was taking a shower, and for those who don't know, yes, I actually do take showers. I'm not, you know, <laughs> my appearance will shock you, but you know, um, <laughs> um there was a certain forum that said I was a sweaty, uh, a, a fat, sweaty uh, Anakachian simp. So uh, maybe I don't know. it. Uh, gotcha. How tall are you? i'm five foot 11.
0: Oh, okay so you're just like like you're normal. taller than average but you're not like a giant you're not like a huge giant like
1: no no my old man is like he was i believe he got a little bit shorter in his older age but he was like six foot two so um yeah like i mean just yeah i'm just normal height uh i wish i was six foot two i wish i was like my old man but you know uh yeah it's like imagine a six foot two like literal mario looking dude that's my old man uh, so, <laughs> okay. um yeah so no but uh how long okay so this is complicated because i feel like um obviously if you were part of the original frog twitter wave back in like 2015 16 then you know you you're golden right like and and people have like oh god speaking of drama uh certain people have dramatically left the scene because i'm above it you know it's like uh when I wrote my okay, I'll give you like a background, then I'll answer your question. So, when I wrote my when I, like, first of all, you asked in the in the show notes, you said uh, what happened in the series. The, the honest answer is that I have like a stack of books next to me of references, and like I have notes, but I just been caught up with so many other things, like trying to like like when I freed myself of of uh, break the rules and I did my own thing, and twenty twenty two also like trying to lose a lot of weight. Um being plagued with like chronic foot pain and you know, like just I haven't had the time. So I will come back with it this year, obviously. I want to write part two. But anyways, and, and plus I have I, I'm recently found out that I have a another writing engagement um oh, that's good. that I was offered. I was uh yeah, a small book offer. Um That's great. Yeah, man, yeah. So um not by not by people you would think though in the scene, but like another Smaller niche uh, book publisher. So, anyways, uh, I started the scene because one night I was really down on myself. It was because I was arguing with my former co-host, even though he didn't treat me like one. He didn't actually. I wasn't recognized as a co-host, but that, that's all drama. That's all drama. So, um and of course, I was talking about certain people who dramatically left the scene. But I'll get to I'll get to that. So, I was really like questioning what I was doing, like, cause for that's two years, I was like in this days, like during the COVIDian era and like, I wasn't sure of like where I could go next. Like I, I, I basically had it in my mind that I have to do, like I have to go on my own because for years I was always like under the umbrella of like other people, right. Whether it was like, you know, film magazine, then break the rules, you know? So I was, I tweeted out something about like how, to be a part of this thing doesn't really pay off in the end. I was basically blackpilling, I was blackpilling. And I got dogpiled like by everybody. And 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 a lot of people that like, you know, I had very insightful, um, very insightful replies by people that were friends of mine, but then I also had people that are just like, huh, oh, fuck you, oh, like, you know, <laughs> would you expect a paycheck from this? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I basically took a Twitter break for like two weeks. And then I figured like, instead of going down the road of other people, another fat guy, another fat guy as well, you know, not to name names. Uh, so a guy who's also personally stabbed me in the back. Um, you know, I said to myself, and I said this in the article, the first part, I said like, instead of going down the road of like, all you people are like never going to go anywhere and you're all fucked in the head and you're all like a bunch of like chuds that are grifters and you don't really care about anything. Instead of like dramatically announcing my exit from the sector, from the scene, this thing of ours is Thomas 7-7 says. I said, if you truly love and you care about something... Because you feel that in 2016, we truly did create something unique, right? A true online right-wing avant-garde. If you love something and you invest time in it and care about it and think about it, then why would I say, you know, I had this negative experience. And so fuck you guys. I hate you guys. You're a bunch of idiots, blah, blah, blah. Why would I do that? When you invested so much time and care Into something and friendships along the way. It's not about the clout. It's the friendships we made along the way. (laughs) So I figured like instead of turning this negative experience into like this bitter, like, I I'm better than you guys, why not say, okay, what are we doing? How do we get here? What do we want to accomplish? And what does this mean in terms of the legacy of whatever you want to call it? The frogs. The E-write, whatever. What are we doing and where are we going? Right? That is what I wanted to do. So I said, you know what? I'm just gonna write this series. And Confederacy of shit posters is like such a great term because it comes from Confederacy of Dumps. Yeah, Dumps yeah, is the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um I I truly wanted to sort of collect myself. And then after being essentially forced to, to quit. Uh, my previous podcast for a variety of reasons. And, and so I always tell people this when I was starting my series, you know how you could hear it was when I was interviewed by Alex Kashuta the second time, my good friend.
0: Yeah. I listened to both of those actually. Or yeah. At least the first one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the second one though. And then by the way, that those two appearances like opened up so many doors for me because of all these people that are like, yo, I heard you on Alex Kishouda. Oh my God. And so you know she'll be. You know she'll be my. You know she's a friend for life, right? I know some people don't like her. Blah blah blah. But really, who um, doesn't like Kushida? well Because they figure, oh, she's sold out to the mainstream or whatever. Like it's you know, uh, anyone who who spoke at the National Conservatism Conference. Oh, of, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So um,
0: I'm like pretty much following exact every guest. I I don't think I've had one guest that she hasn't had. I've had like two. You know, like
1: everybody I, I, I just yeah
0: her episodes and then that gives me such an advantage because I already have like heard you guys. So it's fun. Yeah, man,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um she's interviewed everybody, right? Everybody, except for a few people that don't take a lot of interviews. But um Yeah no, so Alex Cashuda opened up a lot of doors for me and but I bring this up because the second episode uh the way you hear me speaking and the way I was talking about this series that I was writing, because I believe I came out with the first part and then Alex wanted to interview me for it. Right. Already in my head, I was starting to like formulate an exit plan from break the rules and to go out on my own, but I just didn't have nothing. I didn't have the ability, but i I didn't have the sort of confidence in myself to do it because I felt like, I, I couldn't pull together enough people. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I, I, I felt like ashamed of like asking for money. Of course, now I don't care. I love asking for money. Really?
0: Um, <laughs> I need to be more like you.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's a way of doing it where you don't piss people off too. But anyways, well, um, I've
0: got a whole different yeah. thing. Like it's funny that you're saying, do you, what do you expect a paycheck from that? Like my answer yeah. is fuck. Yes, I do. Yeah. There's, 100%. Like, I'm Like spending know. all my time doing this shit. I better get a fucking paycheck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't believe in this purity. I don't believe in purity. No, it doesn't that exist that's anymore. So, like, like in my opinion, Charles Bukowski is the purest artist who ever lived. And you know, I always thought that he was this completely pure guy. And he, no. he is pure in the sense that he, he is pure. Yeah. But I read his book of letters. That motherfucker was hungry as fuck in terms of business. <laughs> Behind the scenes, he was emailing his editors, where's my money? Where's my fucking thing? why where is the why is this not in another magazine and yeah. you know he was he did go to hollywood and and sell out and write not sell out but he wrote a screenplay of his own yeah. shit and he was the same thing he was like fuck these people i'm gonna take their money but i'm gonna talk shit about them i'm gonna write a book hollywood all about them and <laughs> you know it's like dude you can't get purer than bukowski and if even he was hungry for the money behind the scenes like that's how you should be if you're not that then you're uh Times Square, fucking rich kid, you know, like yeah, it, being hungry for. Yeah. I, I don't agree with this whole purity thing at all, and and I well, I think that people really get. I, I think that that's such a toxic thing. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. You were, no, you were no, heading good. towards answering the how long in the, in the yeah yeah here. I'm heading
1: towards it yeah yeah so no but it's a it's a fair question though you bring that up because um that to be fair it's an it's an older ethos of the internet to where this is not serious business and like you know e-begging but like that's gone because the internet is the real life now so it's like, (laughs) you know so the whole like expectation that oh no i'm like a classic kino dogme internet guy that's like doesn't expect a paycheck like that's that's an older thing that doesn't exist anymore and uh even people even people like mr medicare like i mean listen i'm not casting shade because apparently he doesn't have a lot a lot of years left in him uh because of his cancer and, and you know but I know like even him that would like go on about like, Oh, you know, people that are e-begging even he like did e-begging right. When the medical bills started piling up, but which is, should be like a thing to look down upon. But I'm just saying like people that preach this whole thing about like e-begging is like, that's an older internet thing that doesn't really exist anymore. And um, it shouldn't be like a shame to make money off the internet. It's just like, you know, if you're investing so much time into it. Like yeah,
0: said. Dude, yeah, 100%. And, and I think a big part, what is the number one framework through which all of us exist is all of the anons, all of everybody. they all their fundamental complaint is my fear is not making money. Right. That's yeah. what they're saying. They're saying it's not being able to
1: survive. Right. I can't be yeah.
0: myself without uh, risking my access to money. That's their point. And I do yeah. feel like a good 50% of them, they like their cage. They don't want out of that cage. You True. know, they, they like their yeah. plates, you know, and, yeah. and trying to get them out of it. They don't really want to get out because then they would have to, you know, uh, deal with the world, you know, they'd have yeah. to be a yeah. But I do also a, a good 50% of them though, also are extraordinarily talented in yeah. people who uh do what the world would be better if they were allowed to be you know be outward without fear constant fear of you know financial disaster and so I am working towards that you know i'm I'm working yeah. towards trying to make an economy out of this you know and I think that um you know I think that's where we should try and head i guess.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this probably came up with Bennett, really, right? like, because of his exit. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah I like mean, that's is the perfect,
0: like, perfect example of all, of
1: all. That's what I mean. That's what we need. We need like antitrust, like fellowship groups where people that are canceled don't like, you know, it doesn't dramatically impact them. Um, yeah. Like I think like that model is like that's to me. I feel like that's what we need to invest in. Any like sort of. Like rich Silicon Valley person that may or may not be lurking in our spaces. That's what they need to do. Not just, like, fucking political influence bullshit. Like, no. You need to create antitrust societies. And you know what? Listen... Wait, wait. What do you mean
0: antitrust? What do you mean antitrust?
1: Well, you know, like, fellowships, antitrust organizations where people that are, like, down on their luck post-cancellation can find, like, employment networks. Why are you saying antitrust? Isn't that what they called them in America? Antitrust organizations? I mean... I'm thinking I of in law
0: school. So antitrust has a very specific meaning. No, like what do they no, call those?
1: Like, you know, leftoids have them. What do they call um, where it's like a fellowship? Like it's like a social trust, social trust. Is that what Maybe. you call
0: it? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know.
1: You know, like uh, that, that union leader. What was yeah, his name? Yeah. 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 Like they call them like Somewhere. fellowships or um, yeah. Something they they have a word for it but you know what i mean we're basically like you can go there if you're like a, a democrat you can get a job you know if you've been fired by your employer you can go to a union yeah uh it's like that it's like basically um uh i think they call it anti you know but you know what i'm referring to right the 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 sort of uh, I guess the it's columbus used to be a bit like that you know um we need those organizations i think you know bennett like his exit group that that's like a model i feel you know so any like rich person that's lurking our spaces that's what they need not like you know not like lobbying or anything like no actually like having an ability for frogs to make a living without like like post-cancellation post-doxing that's you know that's i feel like is a noble pursuit um but your question about how do you how do you be you know how to be taken seriously um damn how did i get onto this yeah yeah so anyways uh it's it's complicated because sometimes follower count does not translate automatically into respect, right? There are a lot of people that either through, through getting banned or um, like to keep low numbers or like to be anonymous. There's a lot of people that have a lot of respect who don't have um, the markers of a quote unquote successful personality brand, right? So it's complicated because ideally your posting should be the metric, right?
0: You mean your, your like Twitter posts?
1: Well, not just, yeah, your Twitter posts, your blogs, your whatever, your content. Yeah. Like it, it should, like the poster should reign supreme, right? But I feel like there should be a level of you lurking for a while and getting to know the the etiquette and getting to know the scene and knowing like what is what makes you authentic and what just makes you like an infiltrator like right. that's a very like these are ve- like zero hp lovecraft said in this thread right like this very porous very like hard to like police the borders of um very hard to like get rid of people who are enervating forces
0: yeah he says he yeah. says uh, from outside it looks like there is some kind of dare we say movement yeah. But there is no movement because no one, not even BAP, can give you anything besides knowledge, and knowledge isn't the currency of a movement. Movement yeah. thinking this is one of the ways to democ- is thinking this is one of the ways democracy makes you stupid. I don't know, get the last part. What does he mean by the knowledge isn't the currency, and that's how democracy makes you stupid? Do you understand that? Because I don't... yeah
1: yeah yeah oh so um it's funny because um the the philosopher Chul Han says something similar in his recent book. Uh, infoocracy which i reviewed by the way you can find on my patreon and also my youtube um my general review series so basically he's saying that in the online world now this is what byang chohan says that in the infoocracy that we're living under that is like controlled by big data where it's like it's it's like on a meta level data and how you arrange data how do you gather data that becomes the only metric of truth right Not discourse. Truth is data. It's everything is broken down into quantifiable units, right? So he's saying that knowledge... And he actually mentions Trump... He mentions 2016, ironically enough, uh, Byung-Chul Han. Knowledge becomes what the currency of the internet is. To give people knowledge, to sell knowledge, to create it. Mm -hmm. And so knowledge becomes... Also beyond that. And he mentions Trump. He mentions the frogs. He says that knowledge is the identity marker. If you know something. You are a part of something. The red pill. Right? We say red pill. Black pill. Clear pill. Right? To be pilled is to know. But also. It's your identity. Right? So Zero H.P. Lovecraft has said something very similar. He says that. To know something, to have this esoteric knowledge the frogs have, to be pilled on the woman question, to be pilled on that other question. (laughs) Starts with a J. Um, You know, so to know something is the formulation and the groundwork of this greater identity of I am a right wing reactionary. I am America first. I am the Bapian I am the, you know, I read like like the meme, right? Bronze Age mindset been out how long, right? Yeah, like okay. so so many, you're
0: saying the knowledge is the prerequisite to be the dissident, but then...
1: But the knowledge is also inherently shaky foundation of identity, right? Because it's just to know. But then how do you formulate your being from knowing something? That is something philosophy is debated about literally for like 3,000 years, you know, 4 or 5,000 years, right? So it's like the dialectic of how you know translating into action. I mean, this I something- it. it's, yeah. it's actually
0: a very nuanced point here. So, yeah. what, but it, okay, so then Zero, who, you know, maybe one day once he stops using his stupid voice thing, will come on here. But, uh, you know, like uh, the currency, what is the currency of the movement? Then? If knowledge isn't, it, and knowledge is just this fake, not fake, but it's not going to get you there. What is the currency of movement action? I mean, no, no, not...
1: knowledge is the currency, knowledge is the currency.
0: He's saying knowledge isn't the currency of movement. He's saying that. He's saying knowledge isn't the currency of movement. Thinking this is one of the ways democracy makes you stupid.
1: I no, he means that as a criticism because we like to think that knowledge is the currency of a political or a cultural movement. Right. But but my argument would be that knowledge is the basis of an avant-garde rather oh. than a quote-unquote movement. And so Zurich, Lovecraft, he's critiquing people that have come along in the dissident right that like to think that just by disseminating knowledge that that creates a movement, right? Right. Like that creates a political movement, but it's not no political movement requires conscious action. And so like, you need to like, quote unquote, red pill the masses. But then, what do you do with that? And I think the problem is that a lot of like dissonant right thinking comes from like libertarianism and it also comes from the conspiracy movement. Because Alex Jones, yeah. for like, and having listened to Alex Jones for like decades, I don't listen to him as much anymore, but like, listening to him for like a long time, his whole thing was the awakening of people into the knowledge of the, the elites or whatever, the New World Order. And so, the model of the conspiracy movement dating back to the 1980s. Has And then finding life on the internet has been to awaken people to the awareness of the bloodlines of the Illuminati or the globalists or whatever, right? The the, the reptilians, the Jays, you name it, right? That yeah. model is what Zero H.P. Lovecraft is saying is that we like to think that that is the basis of what we're doing. And we, we pretend that it is. But when it comes to like a real world political movement, Zero H.P. Lovecraft is saying that no, there's more things in a movement besides knowledge dissemination. But the problem is that the E-right is shackled by this exchange of knowledge. And so, therefore, I don't think of it as a movement, and nor, nor does he. We discuss this privately. It's rather an avant-garde than a political movement. And people that like to come along, and I hate to say it, listen, I'm not casting shame, not mentioning names. But people that do like to think of it as a political movement, I mean, look what happened. They got doxxed, they got harassed, Antifa like basically made sure that they're salted Earth. Um, after certain rallies, which I won't name for, you know, YouTube yeah. purposes, um, they were, you know, basically hounded off of every platform. Um, so I, I don't think it's the fault of them. I mean, okay, yeah, do they share fault? Yes but does the greater society that have demonized right-wing thinking at fault? Yes. So it's sort of like, there's not really blame there. There's blame in people that have like led a lot of people into these events where they can get doxed and harassed. But at the same time, it's like a catch 22. It's like, if you don't have a mass political movement, you can't be taken seriously. Yeah. But if you do have, especially in North America, A mass right-wing political movement where you're going out to these rallies, then you're fucked. So it's like, what are you gonna do? Like that. And so what happens is a lot of the smarter people that don't want to lead a movement, they're like, no, we're not about movements. We're about like this knowledge dissemination thing. Mm -hmm. But then other people who are more of the activist-y types, they're like, No, you're cucked. You're like, what are you talking about? Like you're you're just afraid of like going out there in public and facing down Mm -hmm. uh the riot police or the antifa like ghouls or whatever right so it's like that's always going to be the dividing, like one of the dividing lines on the dissident right or the e-right or whatever we want to call it is that people that want a political movement that want to go and face the riot shields and people that are like you know what that's not very prudent it's like i fall like i fall on the um intellectual that's not very prudent side but then at the same time i feel that the people that want to go out and do IRL activism, they have a noble goal in mind. It's just that the failures have very severe consequences on a lot of these different people. Now, I choose to use my real name and face because, like, let's face it, I'm, like, out there and, like, I don't really have a normie job to be taken away. But I I am constantly aware of the fact that as soon as you align yourself in real life with certain groups and with certain events, it's not very good. It's like you'll... You'll be deplatformed, your sources of payment will be taken away. Like Trudeau. Like yeah. the truckers, they literally yeah. had their accounts frozen. Like it's yeah.
0: it's messed up. The,
1: the fist of power came down on yeah. ostensibly not even a right wing movement, but like a normie, yeah. like vaguely conservatard, like libertarian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like these
1: yeah. people, these people, like despite this, and by the way, listen, I don't care if this gets me into trouble. This is the truth. The guy with the Austrian painter flag—that was a plan. I don't care what anyone says. That was a plan by the government. Okay,
0: the what flag? The what flag? You know the? No, I don't. I don't know. What do you? The
1: mid-century German flag? Oh, he had that at the. There was a guy that had it at the truck in Ottawa. No,
0: oh, I'm sure that was a plan. Totally. Yeah.
1: No, but conveniently, Trudeau's personal photography. Because you know, like every president, every prime minister. And every like, head of state, they have their personal photographers, right? Yeah. Trudeau's personal, the prime minister's personal photographer, just so happened to be right next to the guy with the Austrian painter flag? Yeah. I don't know. No, That's- Of course,
0: it's bad, dude. Jeez. So many of these things are manufactured. I mean, it's yeah. all, all manufactured. I mean, not it's all manufactured, but they, as I always tell everybody, they don't manufacture, this is their rule. And you can yeah. see this everywhere. Their rule is they don't manufacture the event. No, they don't, no. They, like, like, uh, they don't make up, they don't burn the Reichstag, right? They yeah. don't actually do the, the thing. The tea torch, yeah. They yeah. Don't, yeah, they don't actually make it. They inflame it. Like, they, yes. they, they, they cut it in a certain way. They disseminate it in a certain way. They put somebody with the flag at the thing. They, you know, yeah, they, uh, they photograph it in a certain way that is real. You know, yeah. they don't go as far. It's not worth the risk for them to completely fake it. Yeah. They, they only capitalize on what's there already. And that's, that's their uh, thing. That's how they do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, this was great, man. We got to wrap it up here because we're, we're uh, over time. Uh, but dude, thank you so much. Where can people find you?
1: Oh man. Um but I'd like to do this again. Maybe on my podcast, we could do yeah, something. Yeah, hell yeah, anytime. I've been starting man. to read some of your articles. And, uh, yeah. Your cool. um, so <laughs> you know, other coolers. So you can find me um my YouTube. Well, all, the free stuff first. So I'm on YouTube, Anchor, um, Spotify, and uh, like Odyssey. Jenner Productions. Everything's Jenner Productions except for my Twitter. So Telegram, Telegram I do longer blog posts instead of tweeting on telegram, giant productions at telegram.com. Uh my Twitter is always giant, uh, giant geo. I'm almost at 30 K. So please, uh, I'm almost at 30 K. And of course my Substack um and my Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jenner Productions, um, uh Geo's content corner on Substack and all of my paywalled and my free versions of content minded Generate Reviews where I break down uh, texts and articles and books they're they're now available on Substack. So if you don't want to give money to Patreon for whatever reason, I also you can pay me on Substack. But you also get the free version that's downloadable and RSS and all that on Substack. So yeah, but Patreon's like of course my flagship, um, and I am working on a, a direct to sale website. Uh, but I just have to put stock on it um, for all of my artwork. So yeah, I do have yeah. a new Instagram account. My old Inst- Instagram got hacked. I, al- I was almost at two thousand followers, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's all my stuff. Uh, I always post updates on like Telegram, uh, the YouTube community tab, and on Tele- and-, and on Twitter, of course. Uh, so yeah, go and follow me everywhere. I have a link tree. You- the easiest way is just to like follow my link tree. It has the donor links. I have PayPal for like direct donations and stuff like that i have buy me a coffee so yeah just my my link tree there you go that's my i have a find my friends as well but uh i have to update that one so cool. yeah link tree there you go
0: awesome man thank you so much Gio. this was great
1: yeah this is great man this is i love this, this is really pulled a lot of different things <laughs>
0: for yeah. sure man all right